0: Well, good morning, Villas Church. Good to be with you on a morning like this. Winds kind of died down. My hair got messed up at the 8.30. It was, it was like, all right, anyway. So here we are. Here we are finishing up the last week in our sermon series on the church, rechurch, what the church is and, and what the church does, who the church is and what the church does. And over the last seven weeks, we've discovered a few things. One, that we are a spirit-filled church which means we are a new people. Will you say that with me? We are a, a new people. We are a son confessing church, which means we are a devoted people. Let's confess that. We are a, we're a devoted people, we are by God's grace. It also means that we are a scripture keeping church. We are a scripture keeping church, which means we are a grounded people. Will you say that with me? We are a, a grounded people. And we are a sacrament observing church which means that we are a remembering people. Let's confess that this morning. We are a remembering people, and this morning we're going to remember Jesus as we share communion. We are a spirit-united church, which means we are a united people. We're united by God's Spirit, His Spirit bearing witness with mine and yours that we're His, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're united about what we're about together. We are a united people. We are a sanctifying people. Pastor Josh reminding us a couple of weeks ago that we are people that are being conformed into the image of Christ. We are a growing people. Will you say that with me this morning? We are a a growing people. We are. Last week we saw that we are submitted to godly leadership, submitted to godly, qualified, humble servant leaders. We are an ordered people. And this morning we wrap up with our last mark of the church. We are the sent and scattered people of God. We are a missional people. We are a missional people. We are a people that are are sent and scattered all over. We are a missional people. Now, this is the last mark of the church, but it is just that. It is a mark of the church. Oftentimes, we say, you know, this thing is last but not what? Last but not least. And that's certainly true of this mark. It is last, but it is not the least. And oftentimes, the other marks are worked out among the gathering of God's people. Now, not only among the gathering of God's people, but we gather as God's people, and we do see that we are spirit-filled people. You know when you're with another Christian. As we gather, we are sun-confessing people. And one of the things I hope that you always know and sense or or realize when you're at the Village Church— we're saying the name a lot. We say the name of Jesus a lot. We, we are a son-confessing church. We say his name. We, we focus our attention on him every time we gather. We open the scriptures and we want to keep the scriptures. We observe the sacraments when we gather. We're reminded of our unity together in the spirit of Christ and, and we talk about our vision and our values and our core focus and our mission together. We're united. We we declare that together when we gather most on Sundays. We are a sanctifying people. We're hearing the word preached and we're responding to it and And this is a place where God is changing us and reminding us that we need to be conformed into the image of Christ and we're doing that all under the the, the Godly leadership, the humble leadership, I hope, that God has placed over the life of our church, Jesus as our chief shepherd. And all of these things work themselves out then as we're sent and as we're scattered. It's sort of the last mark, if you will. It comes at the end, which incidentally is one of the reasons why we end our service with a benediction. We come together and we recognize we're we're united in Christ We sing songs of Jesus, we open His Word, we point ourselves to Him, right? We might share one of the sacraments together on a Sunday morning. And we do all of these things, and at the end, there is a benediction. It's a reminder that we're now being sent out. And we read the benediction over one another, and and we're sending ourselves out beyond the place that we're gathered. And can we just confess that we need the reminding? We need the reminding at the end of our service that we're being sent out because it's so easy for us to focus on the gathering and forget about the scattering, the going. We need the reminder. Now look, the gathering of God's people is not, it's not a bad thing. And we're reminded in this season, I think, how grateful we are that we can gather, that we actually have a place to gather, and that in this season we've been able to gather as a church, and just how vital that is to the life of the church, how valuable it is. To the life of the church we've seen in this season, it's vital to the health of the church. Across our country, churches that are gathering are becoming increasingly resilient and, and strong. And churches that can't gather are not. And, and, and it's part of the reality of the season. It's, it's why as we studied the book of Hebrews last year as a church in chapter 10, we're reminded to not neglect the gathering of ourselves together. As is the habit of some, but all the more as we see the day approaching. Gathering as God's people, it's just, it's, it's part of our spiritual DNA. It's in our blood. It, it goes back to the to, to the beginning, to the furthest generations that we can we can go back to on our sort of ancestry.com, our spiritual ancestry.com, right? We go all the way back to the first gathering place, the tabernacle. If you're with us in our reading plan, we're, we're, we're in Exodus and Leviticus. And if you want to know anything about the, the tabernacle, it's all there, right? All the details and all the specific details about what God had in mind there. But in large part, what God had in mind was that his people would be gathered to him, that they would see him, that they would hear from him, that they would recognize his holiness and their neediness and be pointed toward a way to forgiveness. And as God's people settled from the wilderness wanderings, they got settled in a place, they got settled in Jerusalem, and now a temple was built. And the temple, like the tabernacle, was constructed for the same reason. That God's people would come to him, they'd gather together before him, that they would see him, that they would hear from him, that they would see his holiness, they would recognize their neediness, and they would be pointed toward a way to forgiveness. And God's heart for gathering his people as they would come to him was always so that other people could see something of who he was through that gathering, through the gathering of his people, and the way that he interacted with them and the way that they interacted with him. This was always the point. He wanted them to be a light to the nations. And in Isaiah 49, it says, And now the Lord says to he who formed me from the womb to his servant to bring Jacob back to him. And that Israel might be gathered to him, for I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the the preserved of Israel? I will make you what? As a light for the nations, that my salvation will be to the ends of the earth. And the point of the tabernacle and the point of the temple was that the other nations of the earth, part of the point, was that they would see, again, the way that God interacted with his people and the way they interacted with him, and it would be winsome, and they'd see there was something different about the way the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob interacted with his people, and they'd want something of it. Which is why in the construction of the temple, the court of the Gentiles is massive. Because he wanted the other nations to see. People would see. They'd become God-fearers, non-Jewish people that would follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because as God's people were gathered, they would see something of it there. They would experience something of it there and say, that's what I want. Incidentally, this should be true of us. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad you're here, physically here. If you're a guest with us online, we're so glad you've joined us this morning. And our greatest hope would be that when you came, you're welcomed warmly and you're invited in. And that you see God's people worshiping him unabashedly and unashamedly because we love him. And that you'd see the way that we interact with each other and you say there's something of a community there. Those people are friends who are like family to each other. Because you know what? The Bible says we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We should, people that come to our gatherings should see something of the same. But this word to the people of Israel was also a word that was predicting the coming of Jesus. It was pointing to the way that God would actually send Jesus into the world to not only gather God's people to himself, but to then scatter them out into all of the places that they walk in life. Jesus himself, the tabernacle and the temple of God. Jesus came to dwell among God's people. And in John 1:14, were reminded, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Some paraphrases translate that phrase and tabernacled among us, and we have seen His glory, just like they would have seen it in the tabernacle, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus even said that He was the living temple that he was the living temple in John chapter two. When they come to him and they say, you know, what sign do you give us that you are really who you say you are? And he says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And they laugh and they say, ha, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll rebuild it in three days. And Jesus says to them, he, uh, John says, he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus is now the place where people would come to see God. They would come to hear from God. They would come to see his holiness and their neediness and ultimately find their way to forgiveness. And there's something very, very significant that's happening through the ministry of Jesus and it's happening for the first time. For the first time in the history of God's people, And it's happening for the first time in the cultural context within within Jesus finds himself. In Jesus' day, all of the rabbis, the teachers who would teach God's people would gather people to themselves and all of the teachers in Greek society and culture would do the same. They would gather people to themselves. Come and sit at my feet. Sit before me. Gather to me. And for the first time, Jesus, as a as the rabbi of all rabbis, teachers of all teachers. He's coming to them, and he is gathering them to himself, but then he is scattering them again. And he's going with them as he does, and sometimes he's just sending them out. A couple of weeks ago we saw how he sent out the 12, and then he sent out the 70, then he sent out all of them. Jesus is not only gathering people to himself for worship. Listen to me. He's also sending his disciples out to show people how to worship, to show them how to worship by following God in the everyday ordinary things of life. All of this to get to our passage here this morning in Matthew chapter 28, which is the great commission, the the great sending of God's people, the great going of God's people. If you look in your Bible right now, if it is not flapping in the wind, the little heading will say, The Great Commission. You know, I realized something, I don't know if it was for the first time, I was reminded this week, that the Great Commission starts with something that's actually, that doesn't seem very great. It says the Great Commission, but it doesn't seem all that great. It says in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. But some doubted? The 11 are going, and, and Jesus has already appeared to them multiple times. They spent 40 days with him. And he's saying, hey, now I'm gonna, you're going to go to this mountain, and I'm going to meet you there. And they go to the mountain, and guess what? He's there, just like he said he would be. And of the 11, they worshiped him, but some doubted still. And i got to tell you, I kind of actually appreciate the authentic nature of this moment. The Bible doesn't hide this stuff. The reality is there are some of us that by God's grace alone, we're just bent toward worship. We're bent toward believing. We're like, we're all in all the time. No doubt, no fear, no disillusionment. Let's go. And as we gather as God's people, there are also some of us that still struggle with some doubts. And maybe they're not doubts of believing Jesus is who he says he is, but maybe sometimes we doubt Oh, man, can I really go out there? Like, I don't know if I have this in me to go out among all these other people and all these other places and, and, and bring Christ with, into those, I don't know if I can do it. This feels foreign to me. And again, at, part of our spiritual DNA is, is wrought with a long history of gathering, not going. But for the last 2,000 years, God's people have been gathering and going. So if this morning you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Well, a couple of the disciples, I think, were struggling with the same thing. And Jesus knows this. And so he gives them a reassurance. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Jesus is saying, I have authority over Everything so you can go anywhere as I send you there. When he says, go, therefore, if you know this, this text, if you know this language you've probably heard before, it means as you're going or in your going or as you go, there's a assumption that you and I are going to go into the everyday ordinary things of life. And what Jesus is saying is, I have authority over all of those realms. So he's saying, go and make disciples. The first place we make disciples is in our homes, Amen. So as we go into our homes, Jesus is saying, I have authority over family and family structure. We grow up and we go to school. And you might be like, I don't know if I want to send my kids to school. I know. Me neither. I don't know, especially right now. But for a lot of years, we spend time growing up in the educational system. And guess what? He has authority there too. He's over all of education and educational systems. He's he's over all of it. We spend our days working and, and we're at jobs, vocation, business, finance. Guess what? He has authority over all of those things, too. Healthcare, health workers, helping with the most basic needs that people have, service industry. Like, he's over all of those things. He's in all of it, he's over all of it. Government, politics. Eh. I'm kidding. It might not feel like it, but Jesus has authority over all of those things. And so as we go into all of those areas of life, Jesus has authority there. And he's telling his disciples, I, I got it. I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. And you have my authority. What does Jesus tell them to do as they go into all of these places, as they go into their family, as they go into education, as they go into business, as they go into finance, as they go into government, politics, community, As they go into all of these things, what does Jesus tell them to do? In your going, into all these spheres of life, what do you do? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I think there's three things that Jesus is telling them to do. And I want you to stick with me for a moment on the first one. I think the first thing he's saying is he wants to invite them to see He wants to invite them to see. He says, go and make disciples. Now stay with me for a moment. He's saying, in your going or as you're going or wherever you go, make disciples. And what I'm getting at this morning in this little moment of our time is is this idea of pre-discipleship. I want to call it pre-discipleship. Because I'm not sure that you and I are inclined to see it as discipleship. We're inclined to see discipleship as as the moment that comes a little bit later, which we'll get to in a moment. But I think this is pre-discipleship. I think you are likely discipling people, listen to me, before you think you are. You are likely discipling people before you think you are. And you know what? Everyone is being discipled by something or someone. And so it's already true. Everyone's already being discipled by something or by someone. And you, by the way you interact with people, you are discipling them into some certain way, into something. It starts with this invitation to come and see. It's it's pre-discipleship. I believe Jesus did this with Philip and Nathaniel. Philip found his brother Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and, and Nathan said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, what? Come and see. And Nathaniel's just doing to his brother what Jesus had done to him. Earlier in that chapter, it says, and they said to him, after they were were John's disciples, they, they came to Jesus, or they saw Jesus, they decided to follow him a little bit, and as they were following him, they asked him a question. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you going? And Jesus says to them, come and you'll see. The first step to discipleship is just an invitation to come and see. To come and see. To come and see what life is like among God's people. To come and see what, what he's actually life, like through his people. To come and see what he's like as, as you see his people worshiping him and, and as you see them you know, opening up his word. Like, come and see. But it's more than that. Like, come and see. Come and be involved in my life. Come share a meal in my home. Come talk with Jesus about me. Come see how I interact in in these business dealings now in our company because I'm a Christian. Come and see the way our family lives life together. Come and see the way I enter into this part of life. It's all about saying there's there's another way to live. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus says, you have heard it said it's this way. Well, I'm telling you it's actually like this. There's a completely different and, by the way, better way of living I want to tell you this morning that pre-discipleship, listen to me, is discipleship. Because you're already leading someone to Jesus. You're just inviting them to come and see. But making disciples is more than pre-discipleship. It's more than just asking people to come and see. It's more than getting on your Instagram story and putting up something about a church event and saying, hey, we'd love for you to come. You know, it's more than the invite to just come and see eventually you're asking them to do something else. And that's the second thing, is Jesus is sending us out to invite them to to come and follow, not just to come and see. If you're here this morning and and you're not yet a Christian and you're just coming to see, again, we're so glad that you are here. And I'm just going to be straight with you. Eventually someone's going to invite you to come follow Jesus, to not just see, but to come follow him. Jesus is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is our call to commitment. It's our call to commitment and to following Jesus. It's a public profession of faith that says we are committed. Now, I know it doesn't feel that like, like that sometimes now because nowadays it feels like you can make a profession of faith as a Christian and you can wait 10 years until you're baptized and no one will say boo. It wasn't like that in the early church. Baptism. Coming, God's Spirit, profession of faith—we're all intertwined like a like a three cord strand that can't be broken. That looks like one rope when you look at it. Baptism was that public profession of faith that says, "Yeah, that's my public commitment to follow Jesus." Listen, in all areas of my life. Yesterday, I, I saw um, an Instagram post by um, a guy named Hunter Henry, and Hunter Henry is the tight end for the San Diego Chargers, and. And Hunter connected with my son at an FCA football camp, and we kind of, three of us, connected with each other. Um, Hunter's a a believer, uh, but uh, the boy's tall and thick, okay? And he can catch a football and run you over, and so my son's like, I like that guy, right? And he is the son of a pastor, and so he and my son were like, oh, they kind of made this connection, And his dad is a pastor He's also connected with an organization that helps to fund training for church planters that happen to to be associated with our church planting network. And so it was another thing that kind of put us together. So I don't follow a lot of people on Instagram, but I follow him now. And yesterday, he posted a, a thing on his story of this NFL player, I think is on his team. And the guy's like literally in a pool, like doing this, looking up, you know, dripping with water. And the guy's caption was like, I've made, you know, a, a, a really important step in my commitment to following Jesus. And here's this professional athlete letting the entire world know, I'm with him. Right? It's a public profession of our faith. It is our call to commitment. And church, I think here is the point. Jesus, in saying this, is saying, not only invite people to come and see, but invite them to come and follow. Baptism is the first step in that, to that commitment to Jesus, I mean, this is what Jesus said to all his disciples, right? He said, Follow me. Come follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. But in the end, baptism is really a picture of the final call to discipleship. Not only to come and see, not only inviting people to come and see, or calling them to come and follow, but the last and third thing, if you're writing these down, is to help them to come and die. To help them to come and die. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Incidentally, I think the book of Matthew is a New Testament discipleship manual for the church. I think that it was, that's what it was meant for. And when at the end of Matthew it says, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, I think what Matthew is saying, what Jesus is saying with Matthew's recording, is teach them to observe everything you've just read in this book. The book of Matthew is a gospel primer on discipleship. And he's saying all of it. Teach him to observe all that I've commanded What's the hardest thing that you think Jesus has commanded? I think it's actually in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, where it says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give In return for his soul, you'll see this in the progression of Jesus' ministry. Early on, Jesus says, Come and see, Philip, Nathaniel. He tells his disciples for a few chapters in a row, Come and follow, follow me. And eventually, Jesus gets to a place where he says, You're going to need to come and die. And if you're a Christian, you know what this means. You know it's a death to yourself. And you know something of what that death means. Like, if you're married, you know that you've already died to yourself once, right? Is that real? Can, can someone just say that's real? Is that real? Yes, it's real. Someone just nod your head. Yes, it's real. Got a great marriage, but that's real. You die to yourself. And when you have kids, do you die again? Yes, you do, right? Sean Kennedy has five kids. Pastor Sean, he's died six times, right? It's a lot of deaths. You know, if you got a dog, you know add one more right but you're just constantly dying to yourself this is the christian life we come and see jesus we come and follow jesus and eventually you come and die to yourself but by the way we get risen to an incredibly better life <laughs> amen we do but can we all just admit for a moment that that dying process that is not easy can we all just admit that it's not easy to die to yourself? But it's a beautiful thing to do. You know, I recognized this last week when um, I did a memorial service for one of our best and lifelong friends. They probably are, you know, one of our two best friends in life. And their their stepdad passed away. And this guy... Um, came to Christ, and, and he was changed in a pretty radical way toward the end. It, it, so much so that as I did his memorial service, some of his friends like laughed at the things I said that were gospel-oriented because they, they hadn't seen him in years. And then others cried because they knew it was a reality in his life. Does that make, are you with me? And as they were telling me the story with the family about, about his death, and he had congestive heart failure, and so it was only a matter of time. So he had about a year, and then it was just, it was time. And he knew he was going to die, and they knew he was going to die. And he came to them and they told me about the story about it when they talked about, I'm going to die and I just want to die well. And so their whole plan was just to help him to die well. And can we just admit that that's a really hard thing to do for someone. If you've had to do that, you know. But it's also a tremendously beautiful thing to do for someone. And I don't mean to get so heavy, but in a similar way, can we just all admit that it's an extremely hard thing to do to just die to yourself over and over sometimes as a Christian and to help other people learn how to do the same thing? But can we also admit it's a very beautiful thing to do? Can we also all acknowledge like there's a, a, there is a tremendous beauty in that, and I hope you see it. Look, this progression is not always easy, <laughs> not often easy which is why ultimately I think not so many people do it. I mean, it feels like not so many Christians are willing to just like, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go invite other people in. Maybe, maybe some of us are willing to make the invitation, come and see, but how many of us are really doing the, hey, come and follow, we're calling people to the next step. How many of us are actually walking with people through like, come and die, come and die to yourself and live to Christ. Like how, how many of us are, are walking people through that progression? It's, this is not an easy thing to do. And Jesus knows this. And so at the end, Jesus says, and behold, or lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I love that it says to the end of the age because I think it's reassurance for modern day disciples, right? Jesus doesn't say, and behold, I'm with you until I actually ascend and then I'm not with you. (laughs) Or I'm with you in this season until this happens. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Like he's promising this to all of his disciples that he's with us in this. The early church eventually got this. And at the beginning of this sermon series, I told you for every mark of the church, there's actually a metaphor that goes along a picture. And, and for this mark of the church, the picture I think is perhaps the clearest of all the metaphors, all the pictures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16-17, to Paul says, do you not know that, okay, again, imagery, but just it's so clear. You are God's temple. He's not, not trying to be like mysterious, and that God's spirit dwells in you, just like his presence dwelled in the tabernacle and temple. Anyone who destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Think about what you drink at home or where you go to lunch today, okay, or how much you eat, right, whatever. For God's temple is holy, look, you are that temple. You are that temple. And it's not just you as an individual, it's us collectively as a church. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy as a holy temple to the Lord in whom you also being built together a dwelling place for God by his spirit Here's the picture the temple is now on the road the temple is not just in one place everyone goes to it The temple is now on the road. It's wherever any Christian goes. The temple was the place where the people of God came to see God. Now, we go to them and they see God and something of him in and through our lives. The temple was the place where where people could experience God. They could go there to experience God. Now, now. We go to them and they should experience something what God's like through their relationship with us. The temple was the place that the, the Gentiles went to to understand something of the God of the Bible. Now, we go to them so that in their relationship with us, they can understand something about the God of the Bible. And the temple was the place where people came to seek forgiveness. Now, we go to them to proclaim that there is forgiveness to be found in and through Jesus, only in and through Jesus. Which is why Jesus says, I think whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in, in heaven. Like there are certain things that we can, we, can, we can now do now as we have the keys of the kingdom in a sense. We can go proclaim the truths of these things. And when people receive them, it's bound, it's done. They're going to come to faith. They're going to be forgiven. and They're going to be invited into the family of God. As much as we call that the sanctuary and we have not been in it for over a year, that is not the sanctuary. I mean, as grateful as I am for it, that it's there and we have it, God's gifted it to us. This is not the place that you go to get a glimpse of who God is, although you can and hopefully people do as one day we gather in there again. Guess where that happens? Through all of you. That is not ultimately the hub. We call it the hub, the activity of God's people. This is where the activity happens, and the coffee, and the fellowship, and, you know, the introductions, and the welcome. But that's not it. I mean, yes, that happens. It's going to happen in there again. But that's you. You are where the activity of God is happening. Church, I hope this is really good news for you. I hope this excites you to be invited into this. And I— at the Village Church, we always want to share good news, which, which to us is just a, a, a part of the, connect, of the real good news of the truth of, of the gospel itself, the passage of the scripture in, and the realities of your life. We're trying to build bridges between those three things with this statement. I believe the good news is something like this this morning. Jesus has come to us to show us his holiness and our neediness, to offer us forgiveness, and then to send us out to share it with others. <laughs> I think that's really, really good news. I hope it's good news for you this morning. As Reagan and and, and the, the team come out to lead us in a couple of responsive songs and communion, I want to end our time this morning with a warning. And this is unorthodox for me. I'm usually like, hey, good news, like, let's go, you know? And and it seems a little counterintuitive to place the warning after the good news, but I think it's actually where it fits this morning, so that's, that's where I'm placing it. And in... I think the warning, the danger is this that we could use an old covenant model of gathering only in a new covenant era where God has called us to gather and to go. The danger is that we can go backwards. That we could go back into that old covenant paradigm where it's just, it's just gathering. And as we gather, people will see something of who God is, and that's it. And you know what? That's true. That will happen. By God's grace, as people come into the community of God's people, they are going to see something, but that's not, that's not all of it. It is it, but not all of it. Let's not go backwards into an old covenant paradigm in a new covenant era which says, no, 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 we also go to them. And I'm warning us of this here because I think that there could be a danger. Because as I turned around and looked at this building, some of your hearts leapt. Some of your hearts leapt because you're like, I just can't wait till we get to go inside. Some of you this morning, your hearts leapt and you're like, it's windy. Does that mean we're going to go inside? You know, are they going to let us inside? Look, I look forward to the day we, we get to go inside. Honestly, I think though I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach from the floor. I like this. You know, there's some things that we're going to take with us from outside inside, I'm sure. But, but, but the danger could be that as we think about going in outside and, and we rejoice over the fact that we could gather back in there and hopefully sometime soon, that we all just kind of focus together on only the gathering and not the going. And I just want to warn us, that's, that's part of it. It's certainly not all of it. Do you hear the warning this morning? All right. Can we be careful together? Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for coming to us. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for inviting us in to, to the call to, to make disciples, for people to come and see and come and follow and come and die. Lord, help us to follow you into it. Thank you for being our example in it. We love you. We ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen.